0: Good morning, everybody. Happy Sabbath. It is good to see such a full church. The last few weeks, we've been struggling with numbers as people have been in isolation and on holiday, but it's good to see you all back at church. Welcome, Liz. Good to see you. Um, it's so good to see so many people coming back um, after a, a good holiday season. Um, we've started the year off with quite a bang, haven't we? Uh, at the end of the year, we were planning for all these things. We were like, man, 2022 is going to be a good year. It's going to be easy. And then we all know what happened. But we can see we're getting out of it. People are getting better. People are coming back to church. Um, the community is going to come back thriving. And we have a lot of cool ideas and plans and stuff happening in the next few weeks Um, So we're excited what God is doing, um, and we want to welcome you. If you haven't been here for a while, we're in a series called Grateful Living, a series on stewardship or how to manage um, what God has given to us well. And today's uh, talk is on talents, and I want to read the the scripture reading. So if you have your Bible, I would like to turn with you. We're just going to stay in this one text, this one uh, pericope today, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. So if you have your Bible, or if you have your device, or whatever you use um, if you're online, um, you can grab your Bible as well. Uh, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Um, and so we'll go Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It's a story that we know pretty well. It's a story that isn't um, unfamiliar with most of us, probably. Um, but I think that there will be an element in today's teaching that I think a lot of us will uh, see the story in a new light. So let's read it together, Matthew chapter 25, and verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey... Who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his ability. Then he went away, verse 16. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made them five talents more. And so also the one who had two talents made two more talents. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the the servants came and settled accounts with them. And when he had received the five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the the one with the two talents come forward, saying, Master, you have delivered me with two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, what is yours? This master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents." For to everyone who, who will have more will be given, but he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. That's a pretty heavy story, isn't it? How many of you thought, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you think, man, that master is a bit of a jerk? Like what if this guy, you know, he had some tough times, you know, the economy wasn't doing great, you know, it was was difficult for him, maybe he, you know, was he not too harsh on this guy? Was this guy, man, kicking him out like that, speaking so bad to him, is that not a bit too harsh? I think this story is one of the most important stories for us as Christians as we wait for the second coming, and we're going to unpack that a little bit of what that means, but let's just pray together. Gracious Father, as we come now to understand this passage, this parable that you told your disciples and to us, um, I pray, Lord, that we will be able to understand it, to know what it means um, to implement the, the principles of this parable in our lives. I pray that the same Spirit that inspired Scripture will be the same Spirit that illuminate that Scripture in our heart and our mind, not so that we can just walk away knowing more theology, but that we can know that God himself has spoken to us today. And that he calls us to do something with it. Bless and keep us now in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, So we're in our series, as I mentioned, of grateful living. I mean, it's a series of um, various or eight T's that we've been looking at. Um, time, talents, testimony, treasures, temple, territory, tribe, and truth. That's the kind of eight domains that we are looking at in this next series on where we should steward or manage um, our our domains well. And um, today we're going to look at the... the talents part of it, and there's certain assumptions that we need to have when we come to this discussion, when we to come to the, the discussion of just stewardship in general. We don't really like that word stewardship necessarily, or we don't u- usually use it that often, right? But stewardship um, is just something where we manage God's economy. So two of the assumptions that we should have when we come to all eight of these domains is number one is God is the owner of everything. Like that's super important for us to realize from, from, from the get-go is everything that you have is something that God owns already. The car that you drove in this morning, the steel that it's made from or the materials that it's made from was taken from God's earth, right? You sitting here breathing and being able to live, well, that's God that, that sustains you. The money in your pocket, the house that you live in, all of these things is because of God gave the original things there. Now, we have used that and manufactured certain things. But at the end of the day, God is the owner of everything. You are only a manager of that. Whether it's your time, whether it's your treasures, whether it's your talents. well No matter what it is, at the, at the core of everything is that God entrusted that to you. The second thing of stewardship is that being managers of God's economy is a response to God's gospel grace. We don't come and do these things in order to placate God and say, God, please love me more because look at how good a manager I am. No, no, no. God says, I love you so much that I am entrusting you this. I'm giving you the privilege to do this. We come already saved, and because we are saved, we now live in this this domain and say, God, we want to live well within these various domains and serve you well in these eight things that we'll speak about. And so the key words for for this whole series is the word entrusted and privilege. You have been entrusted with this, and it's a privilege. So when we come, and we're going to have throughout these eight um, sessions that we'll go through, there's going to be some points where you will be uncomfortable, There will be certain things where the Holy Spirit is prodding your heart and saying, man, you can do better in this domain. You can do better here. And you'll feel uncomfortable. Maybe some of you will get upset with me because, oh, the pastor shouldn't have said that. He shouldn't have called us on that. But it's the Holy Spirit working with you. And we should say, well, thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to my heart. Thank you for, for bringing this to my attention because, God, I want to do better. Not in, in order to, to placate you, not in order to, to earn your love. I already have your life. I'm doing this in a response to the gospel, the good news, the grace that you have given me. So we're going to look at just this one parable, the parable of the talents. And today we're talking about talents. And there's this distinction that we have to make about talents. Talents that we're going to speak about in this uh, Parable is not the talents that we generally think about when I talk about talents when I say oh you're a talented individual I'm not talking about the money that you have or a weight that you have. I'm talking about your abilities Now what Jesus does here is that he speaks about abilities and he uses it uses the metaphor in uh, Of money, which is a talent a weight And so we have to distinguish between those things. So this story, just keep in your mind that Jesus is speaking about money specifically but using the abilities to make more money and that's also a talent. So talent and talent. I hope that didn't confuse you. Um, So we're gonna do three things very easily. We're gonna go through a framework to just set up the story. Then we're gonna look at the actual story and then we're gonna speak about some life lessons. So three easy things that we're gonna go through. Setting up the story is super important for us to really understand what Jesus is doing here right? This comes at the end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew chapter 25. So he's been ministering for quite a long time. He has said quite a lot of things. He has taught a lot of stuff. The book of Matthew is basically a compendium of all the teachings of Jesus. So he's already taught a lot of stuff, and he's coming to the end of his ministry. And so for us to fully understand and fully grasp what he is teaching, we have to have some framework, right? And so let's go very easily look at that framework. When we start at Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24 starts off with this uh, verse, verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away. And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, See all these, do you not? And they said, Yes, truly, I say to you, these will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then, verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so he moved on a little bit, and as he sat down, his disciples came to him privately, so nobody's around, it's just Jesus and his disciples, and they say to him, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, and at the end of the age? So Jesus is coming to his disciples, and he's telling them specifically about the end of time, something that should be very uh, close to our hearts, individuals that live very close to the end of time, right? Right? And so the context is that Jesus speaks about the destruction of, uh, of the temple. Then he gives signs of the end of time. Now, these signs are a bit ambiguous. It doesn't directly give us all the checkbox, but it gives us a direction to look into. Say, look in this direction. There's certain things where you can look at the signs and see we're getting closer and closer. He uses the analogy of a woman giving birth. There's enough signs to say, oh, it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer, right? And then right after the, the signs of the times, he speaks about the second coming. He speaks about him coming. So he gives certain signs. And then in Matthew chapter 25, oh, then he speaks about the lesson of the fig tree. So he starts giving advice. So if you follow the story, he's telling them that, Jesus, that there's going to be a destruction. Then he tells them to look for these signs. And then he gives them advice to prepare. So the first one, he says, the lesson of the fig tree. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches come together and puts down its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So he's speaking to an agricultural society. They are so aware of looking at the signs of the season. Why? Because that's their livelihood. So they would walk around and they would be constantly aware of what the plants are doing, what what the seasons are doing. So he says, let me give you an example that you would understand. You're walking and you start seeing leaves on the fig tree, you would know it's season for fruit. He says, similarly, when you're looking at the, the signs of the world, look at these signs and know that it, there's going to be a time that I'm going to come, come soon. So he's telling us to be watchful. Then he says, then he starts, uh, starts talking about always being ready. He uses the analogy of Noah, right? But he uses this verse, he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now what's interesting about this um, story that he tells, or the way that he explains it, is not so much about the coming and going and this one will be kept and this one will be left and all of these things, but the idea of normalcy. For many people, when Jesus comes again, it will be just another Wednesday. right? It will be just be just another day. It will be, they will be going and planning their wedding and they would be going around, going through the coals and doing their normal shopping. For many people, it will be just a normal day like any other day. And this is super important for us because for many of us, as we are preparing and waiting for the second coming, we might think, oh, it's a far way off. It won't happen today. It won't happen tomorrow. Because we think that we're keeping these, we're just checking these signs. And Jesus says, no, 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 you should be constantly watching and waiting. And no, for many people, it will be just the normalcy of everyday life. Then he goes into these three parables, the parables of the ten virgins, the talents, and the sheep and the goat. And he starts telling them about how Christians should be ready, how believers should be ready, how what, should, what they should be do in this, in this period of waiting for the second coming as life just goes on and follows the same cycles of life. What should you, what should you do in the normal every day of your life as you are waiting for the king to come? Right? And he tells him these things. He says, the ten virgins, there's ten virgins. Right? Five of them are foolish, five of them are wise. Some of them are prepared and ready. Right? Then he tells the story of the talents, and we'll get to that today. Um, and then he speaks about the sheep and the goats, and then that's what he calls the last judgment. I want you to see certain trends in all of these stories. Number one is that in all three of these stories, there's two groups of Christians. Foolish and wise. Right, people that that do what needs to be done, and people that don't, that squander their responsibility, and then sheeps or goats that are separated at the last judgment. We sometimes forget this point, or we kind of are sometimes a bit lazy, it's fair about it. That judgment is coming. Like we are sometimes very excited about Jesus coming and going to heaven and all of these things, but we forget that there will be an account of each of us of how we live our lives, and judgment is coming for all of us. And so the ten virgins, the talents, and the sheep center around these idea of hope, faith, and love. The ten virgins, the main thing is hopeful preparing. Preparing, knowing that Jesus is going to come. Preparing, knowing that that there is going to come a time that he is coming back for his children. Talents is faithful management. We know that God has been faithful towards us and we are faithful towards him. We are, we are faithful in the management of what he has given to us. And then the sheep and the goats is lovingly serviced. Jesus says, I will know who is my people by the way that they serve. The love that comes out of them and the way that they serve. So now let's get to the story. We've set the context. So we know that this is very, very close to our hearts because we are those people still looking for the second coming. We are waiting in the, in the everyday normal of, uh, normalcy of life. What are we supposed to do, right? We're in the story of the talents. Now, let's start off with the first verse. For it. Now, it there refers to the kingdom. If you just go back a few stories, you know that Jesus is referring to the kingdom. For it, when Jesus says, for it will be like, he's he's drawing an analogy and saying, this is how the kingdom will be. In one sense, he's giving us spiritual physics. He's telling us, these are the rules of my kingdom. This is how my kingdom operates. It is different than the world, and it is something that none of us naturally understand. Right. So when Jesus comes and he's articulating as the king, articulating the kingdom, we need to listen because this is not something that we naturally understand spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and we are spiritually broken. And so for us to understand spiritual things, we need to understand to the spiritual God, the God that understands and created all of these things. So he says, For it, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants. And that idea of servants, the word servant is actually a wrong translation. The word is slave. Slave. Meaning that he's not saying that there is a man who had people that worked for him from Monday to Friday, nine to five, and then they could go on and have their little weekends and holidays. No, 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 no. The word they were is doulos. It means slave, meaning that they were the property of that master. Scripture is pretty clear that there are two masters in this world, Christ or sin. There's, that's the only one. So you are either a servant of Jesus or you're a servant of sin. You're either following Jesus as your master or sin as your master. And so he's using this analogy, and not to break or give you a spoiler, but Jesus is the master in the story, right? And so he's speaking about people that are believers, people that follow him, people that already have confessed their faith in him, right? So he, he called his servants, his slaves, and he entrusted them his. Once again, he entrusted. It is not theirs. They are merely slaves. He entrusts it to them. He gives it to them and says, "I trust you enough with what is mine. I entrust this to you." To the one, he gave five talents. Now, as I mentioned one before, talent is not that when, he, when we read the word talent, there, it's not the way that we think about talents, right? So, a talent was a measure of weight. It was the biggest measure of weight. It was pretty, pretty heavy. Right, so a one talent was about 6,000 days worth of work. Right, so if you worked one day, you would get one drachma. Right, you worked for, for, for 6,000 days, it would be 6,000 uh, drachma, and then you would be able to make that as one talent. Now what is interesting about this story is that parables sometimes don't have too much detail to it. What's interesting about this is that we don't know if this is a silver talent or if this is a gold talent. It would make a difference. If this was a silver talent, it would be one talent would be about 20 years worth of work. It's a ton of money. If it was a gold talent, it would be an insane amount of money, right? So one thing we know is that this master is exceptionally wealthy. We also know that this, this master is exceptionally generous. Why? He's giving this guy not only one, but five talents, right? A hundred years worth of, uh, of work. He gives it to him and says, this is yours now. I entrust this to you. That is when it's the minimum, when it's silver. If this was gold, the point is it's a truckload of money. It is money that the most people that were hearing this, if the disciples heard this, they were like, man, I cannot even fathom how much this is. This master is exceptionally generous. To the other one, Right? He gave two. And to another one, he gave one. But even to the one that received one, that's a still a staggering amount of money that he gives them. Right? And to, to each of them, he gave according to his ability. Now that phrase is super important because it, know, it shows us that the master knows his own. The master knows his slave so well that he knows this guy can handle five talents, and this one can only handle two, and this one can only handle one. What it means is that that the master knows his servant so well, and he trusts them and says, I have enough faith in you to know that you can do this. I have enough faith in you that you can handle this. What, What this means is that God knows you well enough to know what you can bear, what you can't bear. He entrusts you with certain things. Now, as I said, this talent is a, a weight and he's speaking about money here, but this story is about abilities, it's about time, it's about, it's about uh, 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 money, it's about all of these things coming together because it's all of these domains that they are using it in. They're using their own time to use the talents, the money to, to um, duplicate and make it more, so they're using their abilities. Right, And so in the story, we can see that the master is not only gracious enough to the slaves, but he knows them pretty well. In our lives, God knows you enough. He knows you well enough to know what he needs to give you. But he not only knows you well enough, he says, I have a work for you, a purpose for you. Each individual year today, God has a purpose for you. God has a story for you. God has something for you to do. The problem is is that we sometimes get so bogged down with what everybody else is doing. With everybody talent, he didn't say, hey, you with the five talents, make sure that the one with the two talents is doing his work. No, no, no. He said, you with the five talents, deal with your five talents. You with your two talents, deal with your two talents. And one with the one, you just deal with your one. So then we move on. There's three scenes. Um, the, the ending of the first scene is that he went away. So he goes very generously, knowing his servants, coming close to them. He shows that kind of intimacy. He comes and he gives them each of these proportions to them. And he says, and then he goes away. J.C. Ryle speaks about this connection between this parable and the previous parable, but the parable of the ten virgins. He says, The parable of the talents is very like that of the ten virgins. Both direct our minds to the same important event, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Both bring before us the same people, the members of the professing church of Christ. The ten virgins and the servants are one and the same people. But the same people regard it from a different point of view and viewed on different sides. The practical lesson of each parable is the main point of difference. Vigilance is the keynote of the first parable. So if you're a wise Christian and you've listened to the ten virgins, you will know that you need to be vigilant. Diligence is that of the second. So when we're talking about talents, abilities, ask yourself if you have been diligent to what God has given you. Nobody can answer that for you except you because you know what God has given you. The story of the virgins calls on the church to watch, be ready. The story of the talents calls the church to work. Christianity is not a spectator sport. If you come to church merely to sit and listen and consume, you should ask yourself, Am I truly a Christian? If there is no service in your life, you should ask yourself, Are you truly a Christian? He's like, yeah, yeah, I am because I believe, I believe. Yeah, yeah, belief will start moving to your hands. That's the, that's the thing about Christianity. That's the thing what Jesus is speaking about here. Jesus is laying it down and saying, my people will not just be people that warm pews. There's a story of, a, of uh, uh, Frank Pierce. He was, uh, Frank Pierce Jr., he was the... Um, um, some, something in the government, I can't remember the exact title, but he worked for the Air Force and he, uh, uh, he, and he had to go. Um, he was a defense minister, I think. Anyway, he went to Fort Bragg to go see a, a demonstration of a big airplane. After this was done, he saw that um, they were digging foxholes and he's like, Man, I've never done this before because he was not in the Air Force. So he goes down and he's like, Can I try? And the, the, the kind of soldier says, Yeah. So he starts digging and digging and digging and he's about halfway, you know, trying. So the soldier comes up to him and says, can I take a picture? He's like, yeah, sure. So he keeps on digging, keeps on digging. He's like, man, this, what's wrong with this guy's camera? Like, and eventually he looks around and he's like, are you going to take the picture? He's like, yeah, yeah, I just want you to finish. That's my foxhole. I'd love you to just finish that. Then I'll take the picture. You see, this is what we do in Christianity. We love to see how other people do our work. And we want to take a picture and say, well, work's done. Oh, we're so concerned at what everybody else is doing. Jesus is calling us here that every person that says he's a Christian has a work to do your work that he has called you to, that he has equipped you for, the abilities that he's given you, all of these things. Right? Christianity is not a spectator sport. Now, now, now we move to scene two. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with him. I love that idea that he went at once. He didn't think and wait and, no, 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 he went at once and traded with him. Now, we live in a world that it's pretty easy to invest money. This guy didn't say, I'm going to wait for Bitcoin to drop, buy in the dip, and then just wait it out and then sell it. He didn't say, I'm going to buy some Apple stocks. I'm going, no, no, no. What this guy had to do is he had to go and hustle. They didn't have the stock market. They didn't have the ways that we, the financial structures that we have today. What he needed to do is go buy a farm, buy some animals and then you know work with that or he had to actually physically work now imagine once again the story five talents is a truckload of money how big is that responsibility and how much work is that for him to duplicate that to five more talents this is not something that he did kind of nine to five this was his consuming work this is all he did The master said, "He has five talents, and he has entrusted that to me. I am sold out to this guy. I am a slave to the king, and so there's nothing else except what the master wants me to do. He entrusted me with this, and I will use this to the best of my ability. At once, he went, and he traded with him, and he made five talents more. I love the the second one. And so also, the second one didn't say, man, you know what? I'm a bit upset because why did he get five and I only get two? Like, am I not good enough? Am I, well, right. No, no, no. He said, I'm going to go and use the two that i got. He didn't focus on the five that the other man had. He focused on the two that he had. So also, the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he had received the one talent, went and dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. That word, hid, is only used very few times. I think it's only used twice in Matthew. Um, and it's used once in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, it's like the church that hides its light under a bushel in Matthew chapter 5. This man was hiding the, hiding the potential, hiding the light, hiding what, he's putting it down, Right? Now, after a long time, scene three starts. Now, after a long time, this harkens back to the previous stories. All of these parables are kind of building on each other. After a long time, the Messiah is coming, right? The king is coming, but he's he's taking his time. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Once again, it speaks about that idea of judgment. There will come a time that God is going to settle accounts with each of us. What you said, what you did... what you you didn't say, what you didn't do, sins of omission, sins of commission, everything, God is gonna settle accounts with us. And he who had received five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, master, you have delivered me five talents. Yeah, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, now I want you to see the pattern here. We saw the pattern in scene two where he gives the five and immediately, boom, he just goes. The second one, boom, goes, right? Now we see the same thing with the two individuals. It's the same pattern. He comes back, right? So the master calls him into the room the, or in the office or whatever. He calls in he brings the five and says, I've made five more, right? And, and so the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. The second one is exactly the same. And also who had two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now I want you to see what he says to both of these. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Now once again, think about the master. Is this a good master or a bad master? Remember when we read the story in the beginning, we're like, man, this guy's pretty harsh on the second guy. But when you really start digging the layers back, you're like, man, this, is, this guy is good. He is very generous and very gracious to his slaves. He knows them so well. And now he comes and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, well done. He's celebrating what they have done. Now, this phrase, well and done, good and faithful servant. How many of you would want to hear this one day? How many of you want to hear, when Jesus comes again, because this is in the context of the second coming, how many of you would want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Can I see the hands? Well done, good and faithful servant. You know that this phrase is only used in this story. You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? You need to work like these individuals. That's when God is going to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to come to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You believed all the 28 fundamental beliefs, but you didn't do anything else. He's not going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You come to church every Sabbath and warmed that pew beautifully. He's not going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant"? You believed Christianity in private, but you didn't live out the ethics of the, of the kingdom in public. No, he's not going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You used all the abilities that I gave you. You lived up to the kingdom values that I that I set forth for you. You were one of mine. Well done good and faithful servant. He's celebrating with him. He says, you have been faithful over little. I gave you. Now, once again, think about this. How wealthy is this guy? Five talents is minimum 100 years worth. If it was gold, it would be way more. He gives it to the one guy, two to the other guy, and he says, you have been faithful over little. How much does this guy have? What's profound about this is that he is, uh, let me go on, I'll make this point now. You've been faithful over little, you will be set over much. This is one of the key indicators of the kingdom is not a place where everybody is equal. I don't want to say that. The kingdom is not a place where everybody is equal. We, we, When we come to salvation at the cross, we all receive grace equally, yes. But there are hierarchies in the, in the kingdom, Right? there will be certain things where certain people will be glorified more than others. Now, it's not a selfish thing. It won't be selfish hierarchies, but there will be a thing where certain people will be given more responsibility, more, uh, more, more honor. Why? Because of what, uh, the way that they, they served. Right? This is found in Philippians chapter two. I'll read it to you. Philippians chapter two. Right? It's one of, the, one of the key verses of the early church. What, it was a, a song that they sang. Um, Ephesians chapter, uh, Philippians, sorry, Philippians chapter two. Listen to this. We we know this so well. It says, "Have this mind amongst yourselves. Think like Jesus." Which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant or a slave, actually, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So here's Jesus at the top of the hierarchy, at the top of the pecking order, and he steps down, 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 down. He comes to serve, right? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Can you see the dynamics here? Jesus comes down, and he serves, and he serves, and he serves, and because he is such a great servant, God highly exalts him, and he exalts him to the glory of the Father. We see this, this, this pattern happening, where certain people will receive great honor honor in heaven one day because of the great service that they had on this earth. Not to be seen for themselves, but because of the love of the Father driving them. Right? And so he, he, he said overmuch, And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. What do you think is the joy of the master? Man, pockets are lined again. Five more talents. A hundred years more. No, no, no. Can you see this guy doesn't even care about the money? Seems like he doesn't even care. Oh, five more. Okay, great. But well done. You did so well. Wow. You're a better, better steward now. You're a better manager. You've grown as an individual. The joy of the master is not the money. The joy in the master is the person that became better, that developed his gift. The joy of the master was that individual growing, developing. The joy of the master when he looks at us, is to develop us into better human beings, into human beings where the image of God is fully formed in us again. That is the joy of the master. And we only get that through working. That's the crazy thing, is that it is in the process. I want to read this, this very profound quote. Um, Henry, Henry Thoreau said this once. He said, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals i read that again. What you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. It's the same principle here. This guy didn't care about the five talents. He wanted to say that during the work, as you're working, as you're showing all you do, you are developing certain things. Jesus is calling all of us to minister. Do you think that he needs you to minister? No, 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 you need him to minister. Like ministry is a blessing to you. Jesus has billions of angels. He could have sent them, he could make rocks talk or donkeys speak. But he says, Man, I want to use you to minister to this world so that you can be a part of the of what I'm doing and the, the rebuilding of my kingdom. I want you to be a part of this ministry because as you minister, it changes you. I've been in ministry for many years, I've been preaching and teaching for quite a long time. There's a lot of stuff that I know about the Bible, and rightfully so, I've been doing it for a while. But there's tons of stuff that I don't know. But every time that I'm, I'm preaching, I get more out of the sermon than what you do. I can guarantee you that. I am more blessed and I am more uh, closer to God when I'm studying and reading and p- going through these things because I'm wrestling with the text. I'm wondering what I should say, how I should say it. As I'm going, right? If I sit and do a Bible study, I'm getting just as much out of it by giving it than, than, than the person receiving it. Right? And God says, I want, to, I want you to enjoy that blessing too. You don't need to know everything. Just do what God has called you uh, to your ability. Don't care about the guy that has five. Don't care about the guy that has two. If you've just got one, just use the one. And God will bless you with that one and make it two. Just like He's blessed the one with two to make it four. Just like He's blessed the one that made, had ten and made a uh, five that made it ten. But now the fourth one, or the third person. So He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, now that we've gone through the story, do you think that this guy's a hard man? Do you think that this guy's a hard man? No, he's not really a hard man. But this guy's perception that he is a hard man. Sometimes people will have perceptions of you and of God and all of these things that is not true, but that's what they believe. And no matter no matter what happens, people will still believe it, right? And so this guy, no matter what the evidence is, he believed that this was a hard man. And the reason that he says that he's a hard man, because you were reaping and you did not sow, you gathered where you, scat- you, you did not scatter no seed. He's saying you're a hard man because... It seems that you're kind of, kind of getting getting uh, profits from places where you didn't even. This guy is so, uh, uh, um, so uh, uh, what do you call it? Productive, you know, that sometimes he doesn't even have to invest a lot; it just happens, right? And so this guy is looking at him, and he has this wrong perception about him, and says, "Oh, I'm, because of his wrong perception, it, it impedes his own action." So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground, where you uh, here, where you have what is yours. Now, the interesting thing about this, and the master will speak about that, is that he hid it in the ground. The master says that you could have gone to a bank and could have given it to somebody. One key of that is, is that this guy was not accountable. And if he goes to a bank or somebody and writes it down, and says, hey, here's a talent, can you keep it for me? There's accountability, right? Because now he knows he put it in. But he goes to hide it somewhere. Where's the accountability there? There's almost no accountability because nobody knows where he hid it except him. And so if the master doesn't come back, right? Now, we don't know if this is all true, but, but somehow it just seems that they, you know, he's not even following just the most basic thing. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Do you think that that's harsh? Seems harsh, doesn't it? You wicked and slothful servant. But if you think about it, the master knew him so well. He knew the ca- capability and capacity that he had, just like he knew the one with the five, the one with the two, and the one with the one. And so he knew, if I give you just this one, I'm not giving you five, I'm not overburdening you. Right? When you have sometimes, sometimes too much to do, you get so overwhelmed, and then people kind of, uh, you know, look for escapisms to kind of escape this overwhelming pressure. He's saying, I'm not gonna pressurize you with too much, I'm gonna give you just the right amount. The Goldilocks mean, I'm gonna give you the right amount just so that you can flourish. So, this guy, at the base idea, was just selfish and lazy. He didn't have too much to do. He couldn't say, I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the capacity, I didn't have the know how. No, no, no. The master knew him and he knew that he had the, the know how, he knew that he had the capacity. And he gave him the resources that he needed. He gave him the starting capital, and he says, go and do something about this. So I think this is a pretty accurate account. What's happening here is that the master is keeping him accountable. We don't like that word anymore, accountable to our actions. We don't like to be held accountable to our Christianity. We don't like to be held accountable to our actions and our words and our right? But he keeps him accountable. He says, you are a wicked and slothful servant. He calls him out to what he truly is. He was slothful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with a bank As he says you should have at least done that. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest. One of the things is that he had such a negative view of the, of the, uh, um, of the, of the master that he said, I'm not even gonna do that. He had no, nothing good to see about the master, so he did nothing good for the master. See number three, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. So now there's this kind of principle that Jesus puts in here. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. We see two images used here, the image of being taken out or stuff taken from him, so there's loss, and then darkness, isolation. We need to remember that Jesus is speaking here to Christians waiting for the second coming. And he says that there will come a time where I will not know if you are mine because you haven't done what I've done. Now, generally, we fall onto the thing, oh, but don't start talking about faith by works because we are saved by grace. Yeah, yeah, this is not talking about safe. This is not talking about your initial stages of salvation. You are saved by works, but then you have faith that works. If you're constantly, if you're constantly just saying, oh, I'm saved, but you're not working, you should question your salvation. You should question if the Spirit is working in you. You should question if there is a flow from the Holy Spirit right through you because it will become natural for you to serve. It will be natural for you to do these things. But if you're not, you have to ask yourself, is the Spirit working? Do I have that connection? You're not just saved because one day you believe to the fundamental beliefs. One day you you said yes to Jesus, but there's no connection. John chapter 17 says, this is eternal life that you will know me. Personal relationship, connection, flowing of the Holy Spirit, drawing you closer to God, communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by that communion, it will flow out of you the works that is needed. So let's draw some life lessons from this. Number one, Jesus is king and Jesus is coming. Jesus is king over everything. Everything that you have, whether it is your money, whether it is your time, whether it is your treasures, whether it is your temple, meaning your health, whatever it is, Jesus is king and he's the king over all of those things. And secondly, Jesus is coming, meaning that we are living in that reality. These stories of the wise virgins and the parables uh, of of the talents, they are applicable to each of us. None of us can say, well, he's not coming for me. I'm standing outside of this narrative. No, no, no. We are all in this narrative. We are all waiting for Jesus to return. So we should all be waiting. We should all be watching. And we should all be working. There is not one person. Now, if you're saying, I'm not a Christian, well, this doesn't apply to you because this applies to Christians. This applies to Christians that call Jesus God and say to him, you are my king. I have given everything to you. You should say, I am waiting, I am watching, and I am working. Now, that working is all the abilities that you have. You use that for the king. If you're great at bookkeeping, see where you could use that for the king. If you're great at raising funds, use that for the king. If you're great at helping people with hospitality and inviting people over, do that. If you're good at Bible studies, do that. If you're good at at listening to people, do that. Like We all have natural abilities and, and talents. We all have spiritual gifts. All of these things, everything that you have, all your resources, everything that you own, everything that is within your sphere of influence should be used for the king. This story is not just about money but it is not less than money. It is everything. Alan White says this, the time is to be spent not in idle waiting, so we should be waiting, but not idle waiting, but in diligent working. The joy of the master is the third point. The joy of the master is the celebration of true development of the person into God likeness. That's the core of the story. The core of the story is that God sees you, who you are, as a believer, and he says, man, I have so much in store for you. You cannot even imagine what God wants to do in you as a person. You don't even even know where he wants to take you. He wants to develop stuff in you that you didn't even know could be developed. He wants to give you more abilities. He wants to give you more talents. He wants to give you more spiritual gifts than you can even think or imagine. You just need to say, yeah, Lord, you've given me one, I'm going to use one. You've given me two, I'm going to use two. You're giving me five, I'm going to use five. Go out all the way for God. That's what he's calling us to. So put it in another way. God's deposit in you needs to be developed by you through his grace and your grind. Those two work together. We can't just say, well, let the Holy Spirit work. No, I want the Holy Spirit to come, but we don't use what the Spirit has given us. So God has deposited something in each one of us. Now you need to develop that through his grace Connecting to the Holy Spirit, praying that the Spirit work through you and through your grind. The one with five, the one with two, they had to go and they had to work. They had to develop it. There are certain individuals that have some talents that we're like, wow, how did they get so good at this? Right? Some people have innate talent for certain things. Let's think about athletes, for instance. Right? We look at certain athletes and we're like, how is that possible that some, some individuals can do that kind of stuff? There's one individual that I follow that I think is one of the best sportsmen. Right? He's a CrossFitter. He's retired now, Matt Fraser. He is one that now a lot of people don't know about CrossFit, I imagine. But he is the, he is the only person in the world that has won the championship five times in a row. This guy was so good that halfway through the competition, a competition is normally about five days, halfway through, he's so far ahead that even in the middle of the competition he had to step out, he would still win. He was so far ahead of everybody. He has a saying, uh, printed everywhere, on his shirts, on his bars, everywhere, hard work pays off. There's one year where he was doing, you know, they have various uh, activities that they need to do. There was one activity where they just had to run from one point of a field to another point of the field, like a sprint. And he ran and he came dead last. The next year, they did the same thing. And everybody's like, oh, Matt Frazier's going to suck at this. He came first. People came to, wow, how is this possible? How in one year do you take all the top athletes in the world in this this sport and you beat all of them in one year? Like, how is that possible? He said, for one year, that's all I did almost was running every day. That was my main focus. I don't focus just on what I'm good at. I focus on what I'm bad at, and I want to develop that skill. I want to make sure that I get good at this. Why? Because hard work pays off. He knows that mentality, and he's going to do that. God is going to give you some talents that you have to develop. Certain things that you have to know. You want to give Bible studies and know that you, you have some insight in the scripture, but you're not that great at delivering it. Well, you have to take some time to learn the skills to do that. We all have to do that. God is the, God's deposit in you, and he's deposited something in all of us. There's not one person that can say, oh, I don't have anything. Even just one thing is something. God's deposit in you needs to be developed by you through his grace and your grind. Ellen White uh, writes this. She says, Christ's followers have been redeemed for service, we are not merely saved from something, our sin, but we are saved for something—His ministry. The Lord teaches that 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 um, the Lord teaches that the true object of life is ministry. The true object of life is not happiness. The true object of life is is not gaining more, having more play. No, the true object of life is what ministry. Why? Christ himself was a worker, and to all his followers, he gives the law of service. Remember, he's setting up what the kingdom is about. He's giving us spiritual physics and saying, this is the the rules of how my my kingdom operate. Service to God and to their fellow men. If you want to be more like Jesus, serve like Jesus. It's as easy as that. You, You want to be more like Jesus, follow his example in everything. And Jesus was hard at work with the Father's business. Let none suppose that they can live a life of selfishness and then having served their own interests, enter into the joy of the Lord. In the joy of unselfish love, they could not participate. They would not be fitted for the heavenly courts. Remember that quote from Thoreau? As you are doing these things, you are changed as an individual. God wants to see that change in you as you are ministering, as you are working for Him. You become changed so that one day, You come to heaven, you're like, man, this is home. This is home. Why? Because you've been cultivating your character so that one day when you get there, you can be at home. Now the converse of that is also true. That if you're not cultivating that character, that one day, heaven might be hell. Our means, our speech, our influence, all our talents to be used in the master service and to be multiplied by wise investment. We must increase our capacity capabilities for service. It is a terrible mistake for a professed Christian to devote his time and means and energies to the service of self. We are to deny self that we may follow Christ. So today I want to ask you, where do you stand when it comes to service? Where do you stand when it comes to giving your, your capabilities, your capacities, your, 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 your money, your time, your resources, what you have in your sphere of influence? How much has God have given you and how much are you using that for His kingdom? How much are you developing that? How much are you using that to, to grow His kingdom? God's deposit in you needs to be developed by you through His grace and your grit. As we move through these series, as I said, there's going to be some hard-hitting topics. And there might be situations where you're saying, man, I need to do more. I want to do more. There's various ways. You can come and speak to me. You can speak to some of the other pastors, to the elders. If you want to figure out how to get more involved, if you want to figure out how to develop your spiritual gifts or how to figure out what is your spiritual gift, Right? If, if you're stuck and you don't know really where to go, but you want to do something, come and speak to us. Speak to your elders. Speak to Christian friends. But I would say start off by spending five minutes a day praying to God and saying, God, where do you want me to serve? What is the talents that you have given me? Where do you want me to go? Don't be, don't be concerned about your brother next to you or your sister next to you about their five talents or their two talents or their one talent. Don't worry about what they have Worry about what you have and use that for the king and his kingdom. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we come to you and we say thank you, Lord, that you see such beauty and glory and goodness in us that you want to develop that. Lord, we cannot even fathom, we cannot even see what you see in us. And Lord, we want to enter into that joy where you change us more like you to be service-oriented, to be others-focused, Lord, to have the love and kindness and grace that you have. Lord, we know that none of us have arrived there. We all have some work to do yet. But we pray, Lord, that you will continue that work within us. Some of us might be hard at at work, Lord, every day working for you, giving up everything that we have for your kingdom. Some of us might only be 50% there. Some of us might just feel that we haven't done anything and we need to get going. I pray, Lord, that wherever we are on the journey, that your spirit will speak to us, that your spirit will inspire us. Lord, that we know that we're not doing this to impress you, But we're doing this in response to your beautiful love and grace for us. And Lord, we know that we need to do something. And so help us, Lord, to figure out what that is in our lives. Bless and keep us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.